0: I think uh, this whole topic of fathers is is one of the most powerful topics it 's really the full revelation of these are notes on what i 'm going to talk about and Today, if we can uh, hear the father 's heart, it would be far more important than getting much information. If I were to, to say to you so how 's your relationship with the father, I wonder how you you might respond. Um, And if I were to say to him, how's your relationship with me? I wonder how he might respond. And if we were to do a survey among us as Frank and as Casey shared, I wonder how many of us um, have great father stories and how many of us have very distorted ones, very limited ones, very broken ones. I suspect, unfortunately, by far the majority will be broken ones. And by far the majority will come out of broken homes here. And so it's not intuitive and it's not easy to really know God as Father in a way that is transformational. Uh, The church has done a great disservice, generally speaking, of modeling a father's heart rather like a legalistic control freak. In some ways, Frank's dad is personified in a lot of churches which is rule keeping because if you don't keep the rules then you you know you're not going to be obedient to God and God is actually not looking for obedience that flows out of rules because he's already tried that in the old testament i mean he gave all the rules and it didn't work not that god was experimenting and he went oh what a surprise But as I've always said, you know, when when God gave out the Ten Commandments, he didn't give out the Ten Commandments because he thought we would keep them. He gave the Ten Commandments as a revelation of his nature. This is what what he's like. And he gave out the Ten Commandments to be able to say, um, it's like a mirror, this is what I created you to be. And when people look at the Ten Commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, well, we've already failed. It's pretty depressing whether the first one that comes up and you can't keep it. Then love others with all your heart. And then don't commit adultery. And don't steal. And don't envy. And you go, you know, some people will say, well, I kept about five. And the others, I won't say they lie and say, oh, I keep the Ten Commandments. I've never killed anyone. But the Ten Commandments is a mirror. We've talked about this often. It's a mirror that reflects our nature. And the only reason they exist, I believe, is for God to say, that's why you need a Savior. That's why you need Jesus. When you look in that mirror of the Ten Commandments, you're going to go, help. I have become so distorted. And it's not your fault. It's not your fault that you don't keep the Ten Commandments. Do you know that? Do you know that God doesn't blame you for being a sinner? I wasn't even going to talk. I didn't even. This is just occurring to me now. But anyway, he doesn't, he's, he's not blaming you for being a sinner. Sometimes people who found Jesus, they become horrible to people who are still sinners, even though they are still sinners. God isn't angry with us for being sinners. Why? Because we, we've grown up in a culture that's way beyond our control and we are a product of our environment and we are sinners. He so loved the world that he came into the world, not to judge the world, but to then say, what you are is so far from who I am and who you were meant to be, I'm just coming to say, hello... I'm your dad. You know that thing in you that doesn't feel satisfied? That thing in you that goes, there's got to be more? That's me. I went out with a girl long, long, long time ago when the earth was still green and more kinds of animals than you've ever seen. And she was adopted. And she had very sweet Irish parents. But there was something that she said, I still don't know my dad. And God said to us and Jesus said to us, he said, and because he said, I only tell you what my father tells me to say, in a sense, not like a robot, but just because it flows through me. My dad wants to tell you that you're not an orphan. I feel like an orphan. And if God is so loving, why does he let? And you fill in the blanks. And we struggle with these things. And we live in this world that is totally messed up. And so many times, even as Christians, we want to give platitudes to people that doesn't make any sense. There's a reason why I put my arm around Casey. Because she needs skin on men who will love her without sexually assaulting her. I'll make it as blunt as that. Do you know how many women have no idea what men are like unless they're using them in some form? you know how angry we should be about that? Objectifying women, objectifying sex, objectifying things. And God is passionate, and if you did that to my daughter, I'd kill you. We need to be angry about some stuff, but also it's easy to be angry. And this was not in my script. I really wasn't even going to say all of this. But what God wants us to do is not just be angry because it's easy to be angry, it's easy to judge, it's easy to say you're miserable sinners. He says, then be a brother and be a father. And put your arms around the hurting and stand with them. And show them something else. But my brother or my son, you cannot give away what you do not have. And if you do it out of poverty, you will end up screwing it up. If I can't get my arms around you, you will never do it to anybody else in any form that is healing. He who has been, loved, has been forgiven much will love much. My children and the world out there do not need texts. They need love in human form. That's what heals the heart. That's what heals and gives hope. That's what restores. I will never leave you as an orphan. Well, then why did I feel so orphaned? If you were God, why did you let this happen? Because you live in a world of brokenness and rebellion, and you live amongst the people who are broken and rebellion, and you demand that you have freedom of choice. You're living in the freedoms of choice. And all your institutions and all your legal setups and everything you do is a product of your decisions about how you're going to manage the world without me at the center. So if you've got issues with the world, talk to one another, don't talk to me. And what do human beings do, generally speaking? We deny accountability for everything. So even the lawyers, when you can't do something, they say it's an act of God, and God says, excuse me, it is not. The act of God was to send his son into a world that doesn't deserve it, is legally condemned to take their place so that actually they could have a second chance and a third and a fourth and a fifth because a father cannot deny his child no matter how many times they get broken, no matter how many times it hurts. I tell the story of an initiation ceremony in some culture where the father would take the son out into the into the wilds in the, as 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 dusk fell and leave his son there uh, his son would be probably 12 years old and leave his son there for the night and if his son didn't move and he didn't run away then he would be declared a man the next day and they would have the ceremonies so he'd take his son and his son you know was probably terrified but had to pretend he wasn't have you ever lived like that, where where you have no one to talk to about your fears, so you just pretend it's all alright? I mean, I grew up like that. I'm legitimately screwed up. Um, where you internalize everything because there's no one to talk to, so you put on a brave face, and then it takes you years and years and years to get rid of this brave face or this you know all this stuff we carry on. Anyway, this son was probably. Maybe saying, Oh, I'm scared. Or if he had a good relation with his father, he probably said, Don't leave me, dad. He says, Son, you have to do this. I remember when I did it with my dad, and yada, yada. So the son stands maybe under a tree and he's left on his own. I think he's got a, a small weapon or something. And his father disappears. And he sits, stands there on his own in the middle of the night, probably dreading this day ever since he knew it was going to happen. Because you've got to be brave and show that you're a man. Of course, the whole cultural thing is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because it's not manly to be on your own and be independent and keep a stiff upper lip. It's stupid. You, You don't agree with me? Well, have a nice life. Real men need friends. Real men go, I don't want to do this on my own. Come and help me. Anyway, this is in this context. I'm ruining my illustration, talking too much. The sun endures this whole scary thing for the whole night. As the sun begins to rise and you can start seeing the figures and you start seeing the shapes of the trees emerging, he begins to realize that under that tree is my dad. And he looks and he says, I thought I was alone. And his dad says, did you really think I'd ever leave you? This is a test. But I'm there because if anything was going to threaten you, I was going to come and protect you. And there's, that's the heart of the Father God. You are not alone. You say, well, I feel alone. Yeah, that's not truth. That's conditioning. And that's why we need community. We need to learn how to walk together through thick and thin. We tend to abandon. I used to joke with, old J F who's if you rem- remember Je- Jean Francois, pray for him. I believe he's in Vancouver now. But he's slipped a long way. And probably one of my greatest sadnesses in ministry in this community has been Jean Francois. Not from not not anything to do with him, to do with the fact that we couldn't get a community to and this is not a negative to you or anybody. We couldn't get a community house together that could support someone like him because I desperately believe that we just throw people out into the community because we don't have the resources, we say. And there's no hope for them because they can't survive. Anyway, that's another kind of jungle that we're dealing with. And so there's an element of that. And I guess what cries out, as I say that about Jean-Francois, is that there's the Father's heart in me that just goes, I don't want one to be lost like that. But there's a cost to the finding. So... What kind of father is God? We had a family service. We did mothers. So I thought maybe we'd just do this quickly with fathers so that we can interact. And somebody doesn't say, why don't we do it with fathers? So, father. And what I'm wanting to do is characteristics of father. If you, do, if you remember we did mother. What was the first one with the M in mother? We couldn't miss it. It was mothers are important. We love mothers because they make meals. <laughs> Food. Food. Every relationship starts with something less than ideal. What does the father, do you think, start with? I, that's a clue to you. Sorry? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I, I'm just going to put them down. I, I mean, I think that's idealistic, but it's nice. I'm talking, you know, we want forgiveness from a father. That's actually really important. Don't be too spiritual. Sorry? Fun. All right, that's good. Yeah. You want fun with your dad. Thank you. Finances is the equivalent of the meals, I think. Like, you know, Dad, I want your money. That's what the prodigal son said. I wish you were dead. We're not quite that brutal, but um, give me money, man. Give me money. Hmm? Happy. Happy? Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. That's all right. You, you're just ahead. So, fathers are places where we can actually get finances you know that's (laughs) I didn't reconcile with my father quite the same as you did in terms of I visited him before he died and spent three weeks and we didn't talk about anything we sort of, it was all very polite but it was just uh, not not there because he didn't know where to get it from himself Um, but and because he had had such a he had had a boarding school upbringing um, my childhood was and and He was an accountant, but there wasn't lots of money. But I didn't know at that time because I went to a private school, so it looked like there might be. But um, my childhood and my teenage years, he would never um, come home with a surprise gift or something like that. And when I could drive the car, he would never say, use the car. I used to say, Dad, could I use the car because I need to help the youth group. So the only way I could get him to lend me the car was if I was doing something for the youth group. I could never say, oh, I just want to go out. Um, All I'm saying is that my experience was of a father, and I'm not blaming him, but one of the things you do when you describe your childhood and when you describe your parents, it's really easy to feel disloyal to them or you're ungrateful because you understand how they operate. But when God wants to heal us, he wants us to be very very authentic about our childhood experience. In other words, I can explain my father now, but I still carry the child in me that got hurt, for instance, or deprived. And that's the one that God wants to minister to. So if we keep explaining it away, he says, just leave your dad over here. I I understand all that, but you're the child that I'm trying to heal. So I'm trying to tell you that I'm not like that. I'm generous. But it took me a long time to begin to learn that. It didn't come easily. I'm merely illustrating it like that to say there are many things for all of us where there's a gap between the theory and the reality. And God wants us to get to the reality. And sometimes we explain the theory in our heads and we actually stop Him from getting to our hearts. Because our hearts are hurt and we don't know how to give Him access. So we just keep explaining. So we give Bible texts and we give all kinds of theologies, but we still don't let Him get to our heart. And our heart has to find a place where we grieve the loss and then we begin to receive the response. And everybody's heart here has got broken pieces that he's still trying to do that for. I'm just saying to that to encourage us. But just don't let yourself get away with explaining things. Lord, I want to know your generosity deep in my heart. So you know what happened? Um, When I eventually said yes to serving the Lord full time, it was also in Cape Town and it was also, I won't go into the whole story, but this guy who had actually been the first man to really say, John, I believe in you. And I was a hard person to get alongside, believe it or not, and go, I believe in you. Because I'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. ha, ha, ha. Uh, I would deflect, deflect, deflect. But he was pretty pretty persistent. And he just said, he'd, he'd invite me out for lunch. I've told you this before. His name is Vic. And uh When I said I was going to go into full-time ministry, which was like a little curious because I wasn't exactly the model candidate, he came up one day and he said, I think you should go overseas. And it was his invitation to pay the airfare that ended up me spending three years in Oxford, which has been a wonderful name drop ever since because it sounds like I'm brilliant. But why I'm telling you that is because after I had said yes to God, As a father, he just gave me that, which was way beyond what I ever thought would be possible. And often, it's as we're responding to the father in as best way we can, then he just ups the ante, or he provides in another way. And it's a journey. So if I'm totally transparent and I start saying, I've got all these stories all over my life, I'm still saying right now in this season, I'm going, oh, I wonder if you're going to provide. Because I don't know how the heck I'm going forward. And I'm saying that to encourage you to say, we never stop the journey. We never stop the learning. We never stop the fragile side of it or the insecure side of it. And I need other people to say, I'm believing for you or whatever. It's just part of it. So, what about A? Pardon? Allowance. No, we've already done finances. You're not getting twice... We, we, we're going to speed up now so authority somebody says oh dear that's depressing alright although authority is a good thing if we get it healed we need all the other things to get it good what, what else in A well, absent you're very negative absent anger well you know this is the, the, we could have a sort of good dad bad dad and you'd have the you know anger uh, frugal any, any other, authentic is good. What does authentic mean? Authentic means to be real. And that's one of the things God loves. That's what that guy on the coffee thing, you know, it was about this. Do, do, I mean, how many of you pretend with God? How many of you pretend? How many of you are trying to get His love? How many of you are trying to be good? How many of you are trying to be acceptable? How many of you only talk to Him when you feel you've had a good day? I mean, stop it. The most blessed thing that a father gets from a child is when the child says, what you said today, I totally screwed up. And in in many ways, sometimes, and this is why, I mean, we are all fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers to each other. Whether you like it or not, you are a visual representation of the love of the father or not. Every single response you have, every single word you speak, every single thing we do, one way or the other, reflects something. There's no cop-out. Whatever is in us comes out of us, and that's the truth of where we are. It really, really helps to be authentic, which means I'm a piece of work, I'm trying to learn, but I'm not perfect, so don't take everything I say as God. If you don't do disclaimers like I do all the time, you're in trouble. Because the disclaimers are saying, I'm trying to grow, but I'm not doing it yet perfectly, so please forgive me where I fail you. Which is a lot better than I'm telling you something in the name of Jesus and you're seeing all these other things going on and I don't bear witness to that. Then you go, how can you say you love God and you treat me like this? Do you understand what authentic is? Authentic is just being real. And being real doesn't mean give a license. So, Father, what else do we want? Attentive. I'm going to just hurry up and go affirming as well, because the biggest thing we want from fathers is affirmation. Don't we? Don't we? Pardon? Available. Available is also a good one. I mean, that's being present. You know, I was thinking about um, we were talking because we talk quite a lot here about uh, you know going for the gold. And one thing I read really helped me with this is just saying, if you want to go for the gold, you've got to be available to people. In other words, to discern the gold, you need to spend time with somebody so that you get to know them. And in the getting to know them, you get the real gold, not the fool's gold, which is just superficial. But a father who actually is affirming, what what happened with Jesus? It always moves me, this one. Before Jesus came into public ministry he goes for that baptism and the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and the voice out from heaven says this is my son whom I love in whom I'm well pleased. And what has Jesus done? Nothing. He's turned up. 30 years old. Imagine if God and Jesus appeared here right now and he called each one of us up individually. I know... If it was me, I'd be going to, oh shoot, what is he going to expose? And what if for each one of us, he just put his arm around us and said, this is my son or my daughter whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. And everything in me says, I've done nothing to deserve this. I mean, how can you be pleased with me? And maybe he just says, you know, I'm pleased that you're within the embrace of my arm right now not about you. It's about my love for you. Our relationship is based upon my faithfulness to you. And I'm taking responsibility for that. I wonder if somebody here today just needs to hear the Father say that over you. You're my son. You're my daughter, whom I love. I affirm you. And what am I affirming? I'm affirming the person that I created you to be. And I'm understanding that you need to work on a whole bunch of stuff. And some of that's your responsibility. A lot of that isn't. So I'm just going to call up to life who you are for eternity. And that's what I'm going to boast about. That's the basis of what God wants us to walk with Him in. An affirmation of His love for us. Quickly, what's the next one? The T. What? Thoughtful? Yeah, teacher. Trust. That's good. Trustworthy. You won't be able to read this, but it doesn't matter. Trustworthy. What was the other one? Teaching. I mean, some of us had to, to grow ourselves up. Others of us had maybe fathers or parents who sort of helped us along the way and supported us in things. The older I get, the more I see the value and the coolness of that. Is We have somebody who shows us the way, who actually is a friend who shows us the way, not a teacher who lords it over us, which is what many of us are exposed to. But it's somebody who's a friend who teaches us. I used an illustration last week to say the teaching process is meant to be a game. It's not always, but it's meant to come from that place of playfulness. You can teach something in a negative way. Anybody who teaches knows this. You can teach the facts or you can actually teach in a way that is creative and gives life and gives meaning. There's all kinds of ways of teaching. And God the Father teaches from a place of adventure, of security, of exploration. It's all meant to be positive. Again, we need one another to model another way of learning. One of the reasons why we're informal here. One of the reasons why we don't put a lot of pressure on performance. That So when they mess up in the worship team like they did this morning, it's not the end of the world. No, seriously. Ser- I'm serious. It's not the end of the Oh my word. Brandy, I'm going to have to talk to you. Let's have coffee on. Tuesday because, man, that was embarrassing. It's not glorifying to God. He expects, he expects perfection. He expects actually excellence and we're into excellence here and that was a very poor witness. I know you shouldn't. I mean, you know, just a worm. But it's not helpful, is it? Because then you live under fear. So you live under grace and you live under we try the best we can and when we fail, you know what? It doesn't, it's not a big deal. So we move on. And that's how God wants us to to walk and to live what's the H helpful would be good huh hero that'd be good I mean it'd be cool if you could admire your dad honorable humble honest would help I I, I wanted to put in hope as well somebody who gives you hope and actually I would put in humor I actually think you need a sense of humor some of you <laughs> joke <laughs> I think we're all quite funny, I think we're funnier than we realize. I think we take ourselves really seriously, and I think we are needing to take ourselves really seriously, but we also need to lighten up so it's a it's a paradox anyway we've got to keep moving um, I, I've still got the rest of my sermon to give, so anyway, i'm finishing now what's what's e? No, we said happy over here. That's what you said earlier. Oh, my word. <laughs> that's uh, that's Aaron's childhood coming out in you know, a big way. Aaron and Frank can talk to each other later. Um, what about <laughs> easygoing? All right. That sounds good. Entertainer? That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Ernest? We can tell a lot about each other, can't we? Ernest. Example. All right. What about um, embrace? What about it? What about it? Is a father who can embrace his child? It's very powerful. It's very powerful. You see, for those of us, and I'm not. I'm just using my. It's my life, so it is my life. But it, it's it's as so simple as that. I don't recall ever being embraced by my dad. I don't recall him maybe once or twice in my life, saying I love you. I don't recall any of that from my mother or my father. And when you, when you come out of that, it's hard to receive it because you've already worked out, you've got to work this out on your own. So all of us come from different experiences or different levels of affirmation, embrace, all of that stuff. And the beginning of healing is just knowing it. And then saying, Lord, here I am, uh, you know. And so for much of these things, I found the church and and the Christian community has been helpful in healing some of these things to some degree. Last one, are resourceful, yeah. Reliable, I'm not going to write. Relational, that's a big one. Relational, and I would put in there, rock. In other words, you're totally trustworthy. You're totally willing to, you're there for me. So what's the greatest compliment? My daughter sends me in a card. He says, thank you for being there, no matter what's going on in your own life. That's like worship to God. I'm not talking about me being God. That's all God's asking for us. Authentic responses. Thank you. Thank you that you haven't abandoned me. Thank you that when I've fallen, you're actually still standing there saying, Come back here. And like the prodigal, we have this list of things we're going to talk to him. And he says, come here. I don't need your words. Let me hold you. Here's some sandals. Here's a cloak. Here's a ring. I've already pawned about 15 of them. I know, but I've got an infinite supply. Because you're my much-loved son. And one day, you're not going to leave home. God loves each one of us with a passion. I mean it's a passion. Let's stand. I'm going to finish there. And as I get ready to to do communion, I just just talk to him about he's saying that to you right now. He's just saying to you you are my much loved son. You're my much loved daughter.